So in the study of this context, as we had stated, there are two types of spiritual fruit. There's corruptible and there's incorruptible, 1 Peter 1, 23. And here in Genesis chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, we understand that fruit reproduces after its kind. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, And it was so, and the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. So we understand that fruit reproduces after its kind, and so if we, again, as I had mentioned this morning, the fundamentals of fruit, there are, you're you're sowing either a corruptible seed or incorruptible. And the, the, the principle of all of this is we must choose the crop of godliness over self. And so I want to look at several things of how to destroy, uh, if we begin to do things right for God, how do I destroy that crop? Uh, if, how do I bring God's judgment upon me? And so we're going to look at some of those things and, and go a little bit forward uh, upon this as, as we study the idea of fruit, fruitfulness, fruitful uh, fruits in the scriptures, and there's much said on that, 285 uh, different references that you can find of one of those, uh, those words in the scriptures. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing upon this time. We'll do a little bit of review. We're going to catch up, uh, and then we'll proceed forward with the, the truths of God's word this evening. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I come, uh, I do come before you, and Father, it's a privilege to come to thy throne. Near my God to thee, as we had sang. Lord, that is a wonderful truth. Sweet hour of prayer, the time we get to spend in sweet communion with thee. We even count our blessings as the hymns that we sang this evening about your goodness. And Lord, as we seek you, Father, and as we give our lives to putting you in preeminence, Lord, we'll have the blessings of your presence and your peace upon our lives. God, I pray that tonight as I preach your word yet again, and what you've given, Lord, that you'd help it to make sense. Lord, I pray that you'd put it all together into a cohesive, logical manner. God, this is your word, your truths that you've given, and so Lord, I pray that you would take control. We yield this time to thee. Hedge us in and guide us and direct us. We love you and thank you for what an amazing Savior you are. Help us to be found faithful, and if there is anyone that's not saved, God, I pray tonight that they would call out to you to forgive them of their sins and be gloriously saved. Jesus, thank you for being my Savior. In your precious name I pray. Amen. As I had stated this morning, fruit reproduces after its kind, as we see in the scriptures, and the very seeds of the fruit tells us that fruit dies. And there's a code written, in, code written into it. And this fruit is to be cultivated and managed by man. The fruit from God was meant to supply nutrients to another human being. We eat fruit, there's orchards, and there's you know, there's uh, vineyards and other things today that are there for the purpose of producing 
food and nutrients that you and I can have. And we had made the spiritual application that we and our fruit that we're producing in our life is to have the effect of influencing others for a godly way. Now I'd like you to look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, picking up where we left off this morning, that seeds have a body. And uh, in a very spiritual application, we have a body. Within our body, there dwells our DNA, there dwells within us our heart, and there dwells all of that we do within that body. 1 Corinthians 15, 36. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 36, we'll read through verse 39. Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, that word quickened there means brought to life, except it die. And that which thou, so here he's saying, if, if, if you're sowing seed, it goes into the ground, it essentially dies, and then it spuds, springs forth a new plant, Okay. So, going on, verse 37, And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear grain, it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. Now, it is what is inside that seed that will produce the crop. There's an outer shell and there's an inner shell. There's an internal code of DNA that is protected and the dying process results in a tree. He would go on, if you were to look at it, talking about an eternal body as well. Now in God, I find true fruit. The godly seed comes only from the author of this special seed. In Hosea chapter 14 verse 8, Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree. From me is thy fruit found. Now I want to ask you the question, if you want to be producing something of eternal value, you must have the DNA of that which will produce eternal value. If you want, so in order, what I'm saying here is that if you look at verses 35, and we read through verse 39, now let's look at verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It's talking about celestial and terrestrial bodies, the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial another. I mean, there's a body of earth and there's a body of heaven. Now in verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Jesus Christ, the last Adam, he went into that ground and he died. But he didn't stay there. He came back alive. And his life, and all of those who partake of the fruit of him, in faith, we have eternal life. So if a, the body of a lost man does not die spiritually, then there's no... If, if a lost man never partakes of that tree of life of Jesus, that went into that, da- that ground and died and raised again, and you partake of the faith and put your faith in what he did, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you don't partake of that fruit, you don't have eternal life. 
You don't have the DNA inside of you. If you want to have eternal life and produce eternal value and eternal fruit, you must have the DNA of eternity in you. And that's Jesus Christ. And I'm not trying to make this some like... uh, some like extra body thing. I'm just saying, if I'm going to produce anything of a fruit of eternal value, that fruit produces after its own kind. So in order to produce after its kind, God has to do a change of my DNA, spiritually speaking, in order to produce anything of eternal value. And that only comes by faith in Jesus Christ. So there must be a death of the soul of man to be raised to an eternal life. The lost man only produces fruit for the present. It doesn't matter if they're the most religious person today and they do a lot of things that you and I might say, wow, they're a really nice, good person. But if they do it, having never partaken of the DNA change of their soul and putting faith in Jesus, everything that they do will be a corrupt fruit and it will decay. Now, God has created it. Look with me at Genesis chapter 8. After the flood, and you would find it even before this, but Genesis chapter 8, God has given to us that our fruit is to multiply. We are not to stagnate. The whole purpose of why do we do, you know, why do we have Tuesday night Bible studies? Why do we have Sunday night church? Why do we have Wednesday night church? The goal is to get us to the place to spiritually be able to grow. So, and, and it's a, you know, it's kind of a rest from the week and you come in on Wednesday nights, you're tired or whatever. You come in and it's an opportunity to be refreshed, get some of, you know, teachings of God's word, encourage one another and then go back out and serve. But all of that we do Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights and individual counseling or discipleship or all of that is to reproduce eternal fruit so that when we're out in the community we're affecting people for eternity genesis chapter 8 verse 16 god tells verse 15 and god spake unto noah saying go forth of the ark thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons wives with thee Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. God wants seeds to scatter. Now, if there's anything that's going to scatter seed, it's dandelions. I mean, those weeds go everywhere. But you want to think about, I mean, if you want to think about it as an analogy, God wants those seeds to scatter. He's created those seeds. You know, the apples might fall off the tree. It rolls down a hill. It it gets kicked. It gets moved. You throw out an apple core and there's still seeds in it. Those seeds, if allowed to penetrate into the ground, they're going to produce fruit. So there's a multiplication of that of that fruit. In the scattering process, other trees are formed. More fruit is grown and more trees are capable. Creation screams of the perpetuation of life. You realize, look with me at John 15, 16. If you are a believer, God has put into you the DNA as a believer, spiritually speaking, to be fruitful. He has given you the codes and the ingredients that you need to be fruitful. John 15, 16, wonderful truths here. John 14, 15, and 16. 
kind of some revival passages, if you would, but John 15, 16, God says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth what? Fruit. And that your fruit should remain, and that whatsoever, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. What is he saying here? I want you to bring forth fruit. I don't want you to just be an island unto yourself. I don't want you to be a, a, you know, a, 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 a col, you know, kind of like this colony, like much like you'd have uh, maybe with the um, some Mennonites or the Hutterites, or just be a, a, a cloistered colony. He wants us to be, bring forth fruit. The whole harvest that God seeks for us is his trees to produce. Now, the fruit that is produced for God will remain. He says, what's every, you know, and that your fruit should remain. So if I'm doing it, and I've got God's DNA, and I'm doing it for God, and I'm doing it in God's instructions, my fruit will remain. Now, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, it tells us, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and you be fruitful, and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. The fruitfulness of humans takes a willingness to spread out. What did God do in Acts chapter 8? Now, in Acts chapter 8, we find that there was a tremendous uh, persecution that happened at the church at Jerusalem. The church at Jerusalem had over 8,000 people. There's uh, upwards, you know, I've heard some estimates of 50,000. But whatever the case, there's thousands of people at the church of Jerusalem. Jesus said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost. They weren't going, so he allowed persecution. He wanted his fruit to be spread. He wanted more disciples all over. He wanted more fruit to remain. Persecution come and the seeds scatter. Now Judah was prosperous during Zedekiah's reign. Now Zedekiah was not good, but the fruitful field, Ezekiel chapter 17, this tree... In the multiplication process, it says he took also the seed of the land and planted it in a fruitful field. He placed it by great waters and set it as a willow tree, and it grew and became a spreading vine of low stature, whose branches turned toward him and the roots thereof were under him. So it became a vine and brought forth branches and shot forth sprigs. But he plants this tree near a field, it become, uh, near water, it becomes fruitful and it grows. Now Zedekiah would go on to turn his back against Nebuchadnezzar and it would be a bad day for him. But when the tree has the proper nourishment at the correct intervals and the cor- correct sunlight, it produces a great yield. So trees are meant to bear fruit, which is an indicator of her strength. So if we in our lives are not bearing fruit for the Lord, then it's an indication of some heart issues that our strength and our faith is weak. Because in the book of Joel, verse 2.22, if you want to look with me here, Joel 2.22, about this idea of fruit. So I'm still talking, I mean, yes, the analogy is of fruit and seeds. And, and, you know, isn't it amazing that God gives us his word, but he does it in a way and an application that you and I can understand. 
I can understand an apple seed. I can understand a watermelon seed. You know, these are things that God gives us as applications of spiritual truths so that you and I can apply them to our everyday lives. It's an amazing thing that God has given to us. He understands that we like pictures and we need analogies and those sorts of things to relate to spiritual uh, ideas and thoughts and truths of God. In Joel chapter 2, verse 22, Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. And, I, and so the principle, as I was thinking about all this on fruit, if a tree is not bearing fruit, it's weak. Or it's old, or it's, you know, it's expired, it's time, whatever the case. But the strength of a fruit tree is its ability to bear fruit. It lets us evaluate our lives and the outcomes of our actions of what is being produced. It tells us what crops we have been planting based upon how others, even our children, may be turning out. Now we're going to have our own temptations, the children will have their own temptations, their own decisions, but what we sow into our children, what I sow uh, into the church, what you sow into the church and amongst others is going to have, it's going to be evidenced by some decisions. There are those that might be your spiritual children, much like the Apostle Paul would have over Timothy. He would count, account him as a son in the faith. Now look with me that God tells me that you and I are to bring forth fruit. I've already mentioned that God has put into it the DNA to bring forth fruit in, in, in seeds. But do you realize that he's commanded us to bring forth fruit? Romans chapter 7, turn with me here. Now this fruit is not according to my direction or my uh, desires. Because we're naturally going to produce some sort of fruit. We're going to have some byproduct of our actions. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another. Even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh... When I was lost, I wasn't a Christian. The motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What is he saying? Verse, five, verse uh, 4, that we should bring forth fruit. You're bringing forth fruit to life or fruit to death. So there's a fruit unto death and there's a fruit to life. If you live by the fruit of the physical, as did Adam and Eve, then you end up in a mess and death will come. But if you live by the fruit of the spiritual unto God, then you have life. Now, sometimes it can be discouraging. You can pour your heart out for God year after year after year, and it seems like, man, nothing's happening. You know, some, I remember when we lived in New Mexico, there was these walnut orchards. And it would take many years for those trees to really actually produce fruit. You know, produce a, a crop. In Leviticus chapter 19, verses 23 through 25, it says, And when ye shall come into the land, talking about going into the promised land, and shall have planted all manners of, manner of trees for food, then ye shall count the fruit thereof as uncircumcised. 
three years shall it be as uncircumcised unto you. This is Leviticus 19, 23 through 25. It shall not be eaten up, but in the fourth year all the fruit thereof shall be holy to praise the Lord withal. And in the fifth year shall ye eat of the fruit thereof, that it may yield unto you the increase thereof, I am the Lord your God. What's he saying here? He says, a fruit tree is not very productive in its first few years. If you plant an apple tree in your yard, if we could even grow them here, but if you can plant an apple tree in your yard, and the first year you see a little sprig come up, or a little whatever, a little sprout come up, and then the next year it gets a little taller, and then you begin to see some tree trunk forming onto it, you said, this year I'm going to get some good apples. No, you might have to wait five or seven years. You're going to have to wait a period of time for that harvest, for that tree to produce some fruit that is actually worthwhile. So, you know, just sometimes in our lives, it, 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 that, that principle applies two, two ways. It can apply in the fact that spiritually, you can be laboring for God and feel like nothing is happening. But years down the roads, you begin to realize, listen, I'm actually doing something for God. There's a story of a man there in Australia, and he was passing out gospel tracts every day, asking people about their eternal life. And he had been doing it for 15, 20 years, never saw any fruit from it. But come to find out, someone had finally told him, and they said, oh yeah, I mean, people in the military, people all over the world had seen that man on that street passing, asking them about their eternal life. He didn't hear about it till he was near death. But in, the, but in the contrast to this, it can very well be you can be living your life however you want in rebellion to God and think, man, God's not doing anything to me. Just wait, the crop's coming. You know, the issue, and I keep, for my daughter, she's young right now. And I keep praying every day, Lord, I want to see her born again. I want to see her come to know you. And there are errors in, in my life, and I'm thinking, man, I hope some of the things I did, she doesn't repeat. I hope some of the things that I had learned, and that they don't come to her, and, and then when she gets older, she'll reject God. I don't want to be, I don't want to be that influence to produce a product where my daughter hates God. I, I just hope, you know what, it could very well be right now, there's things I'm doing that could produce that. But I won't see it till years later. So are you reaping a crop of godliness in your home, in your mind, in your workplace? Look with me at James chapter 5, verse 7. And an individual that might be saying, God's leaving me alone. But then all of a sudden, they get to this one year, and they feel like everything goes wrong on this one year. But you go back five 10, whatever many years that God's been gracious to not judge you. And they begin to think back, oh, I've, I've kind of made a mess. In James chapter 5, verse 7 through 8, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Now he's saying here, for the precious fruit of the earth, the husbandman is, is God. The precious fruit of the earth is us. 
as believers, that we are producing fruit for Him. But He's waiting for that day when the harvest is fully ripe. He's done as much work as what God has deemed that needs to be done on this world uh, during this period of time before we come to the tribulation period. And, and He just says, okay, is it enough? But there's a patience for waiting for that precious fruit. I know over there in Japan many times they'll They'll cut off all of the fruit of a tree branch. They'll leave one fruit and they'll cover it up and they'll, they'll do all sorts of things for one fruit to be able to get one large apple. Now you go to the stores and try to buy one of those apples and it's going to cost you your first child. But nevertheless, it's going to be, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a precious fruit. Now in Luke chapter 13, look with me here. If a tree is not producing fruit, what value is it? If I'm having an orchard and my orchard trees are not producing fruit, I'm not going to be in business very long. In Luke chapter 13, verse 6, Jesus talks about this. And just think, you know, as I'm talking about this fruit, isn't it amazing how much scripture talks about fruit? I mean, just the whole idea of reproducing ourselves. But what am I reproducing? In Luke chapter 13, verse 6, he, Jesus, Luke 13, 6, he spake also this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon, and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I came seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig it, dig about it, and dung it, and if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. What's he saying here? This tree has not been producing fruit, but the person says, wait a second, just wait one more time, one more year, I'm going to put some fertilizer around it, I'm going to try to make sure that fruit has all the nutrients that it needs, and if one more year expires and it still hasn't produced fruit, then now we can cut it down because it's a useless tree. You know, sometimes our fruit bearing for God comes in nothing because the tree is not connected to a source of nourishment. It doesn't have the fertilizer it needs. And, 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 you know, we're not connected to our source of refreshment. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. You've got to be connected to the source of refreshment. Any branch, and let's, we'll look at John 15 again, another passage of scripture I want to look at. John 15, verses 4 through 8. And this is where many believers think that I can live my life my way, I'll throw up a few prayers to God, I don't need church, I don't need God, I don't need the fellowship of believers, and somehow they're going to do something of eternal value for God. It doesn't happen that way. Just by virtue of being, just because an apple seed is an apple seed doesn't mean that apple seed is going to produce a great tree. If that apple tree, that apple seed is not put into the ground in good soil with the conditions necessary for that seed to prosper, it will not produce. 
So in John 15, verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Here it is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Any branch that has fruit will not survive if that branch is disconnected from the tree. If you have grapes on a vine, and wherever those grapes are, if they're disconnected from the vine, while they're growing, they're going to die. So what makes a person, a Christian, think that in my life, that I can be disconnected from church, which Jesus said he's the head of the church, he died for the church. How can I be disconnected from the church? You know, in, in the practical application of that, it's the local church today, and, and, and from the Word of God, and from the fellowship of believers, and from, you know, being a witness for Christ, how can I be disconnected from that and still produce eternal fruit? I can't. Because I'm disconnected from the very vine who gives me my nourishment to do what I've been called to do. We've been called in 2 Corinthians 5.17 to be his ambassadors, his light to the world. How can I be a light? Just any of these light bulbs here are of no value if they're not plugged in. And they're, you know, they can sit on the shelves for years and never light up. Just simply be, oh, I'm the greatest light ever. Well, how do we know? You've never been in the light. You've never been plugged in. We find that there is a proper management of the crop to bear the greatest fruit. Look with me at Leviticus chapter 25. I found this quite interesting, what God has given. And what God gives, there's this whole thing. I know our government's trying to do all this climate change and everything else, but trying to deal with the climate, they, according to their thoughts and the arrogance of their thinking. But Leviticus chapter 25, verse 3. You know what? God's created something that helps manage fields pretty good. But he's also created something in the spiritual application of it that works pretty well for the believer. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 3. Six years thou shalt sow thy field. This is Leviticus chapter 25, verse 3. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest in the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. That which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest thou shalt not reap. Neither gather the grapes of thy vine undressed, for it is a year of rest into the land. And the Sabbath of the land shall be meat for you, for thee, and for thy servant, and for thy maid, and for thy hired servant, and for thy stranger that sojourneth with thee, and for thy cattle, and for the beasts that are in thy land, shall all the increase thereof be meat. So there's a proper management of the crop to bear the greatest fruit. I actually did some research on this whole idea of fallow ground. And this one resource that is uh, gardening know-how, and then there's another one, the uh, Oxford Research Encyclopedia of Environmental Science, 
uh, two different things. But I want to read for you the, the value of a fallow ground. So should you let a field of garden lie fallow? Yes, they say. Crop fields or gardens can benefit from fallowing. Allowing the soil to have a specific rest period gives, to it, gives it to replenish nutrients, which can be leached from certain plants or irregular irrigation. It also saves money on fertilizers and irrigation. In addition, fallowing the soil, fallowing means leave it empty, fallowing the soil can cause potassium and phosphorus from deep below to rise toward the soil surface, where it can be used by crops later. Other benefits of fallowing soil are that it raises level, uh, levels of carbon, nitrogen, and organic matter, improves moisture holding capacity, and increases beneficial microorganisms in the soil. Studies have shown that a field that has been allowed to lie fallow for just a year produces a higher crop yield when it is planted. Going on, during fallowing, tillage operations are practiced to enhance moisture conservation in the soil. Keeping soil fallow for a season or more restores soil fertility through nutrient deposits, increases organic matter, microbial carbon, and soil microbial diversity and improves the soil's physical properties, including aggregation stability and reduced soil compaction due to decreased traffic. In addition, fallowing of land provides biological means of pest, weeds and insects, control by disrupting the life cycle of pests and decreasing reliance on pesticides. Land fallowing can help offset the emission of greenhouse gases from agricultural fields, by reducing traffic and increasing carbon sequestration within the soil. Summer fallowing may help to preserve moisture in different soil types in the rain-fed regions of the world. Although it may reduce the carbon sequestration potential of soils over the long term, energy resources are decreasing and the inclusion of energy crops in crop rotation may be highly beneficial. Many of the processes, factors, and mechanisms involved in crop rotation and land fallowing are poorly understood and require further investigation. Why am I reading all of this about farming? Every seven years. What did God create? The Sabbath week? Sabbath day, right? I mean, this whole idea of rest, seven days. We need rest as a body. There's times that we need to get away. What did Jesus do at times? When the crowds were pressing upon him, he would go apart to be with God. He realized there's time to rest. If we want to be productive for the Lord, there's times we just need to get alone with God. Sweet hour of prayer. We need to get away. I need to get alone and just spend some time with God. God is put into the very mechanisms of farming thousands of years ago. Of how to protect from the insects and how to help the soil. And, and now they do crop rotation and other stuff to help. And there's benefits to that, but there's also some deficits to that, irrespective of that. I mean, we have some very advanced farming techniques today. But God has put into it, even in regards to keeping the, the land fallow, God put that in there. God created that to produce the greatest yield. There's sometimes in our lives we just need to get apart, spend some time with God, spend some time with our family and honor the Lord and just get to know, you know, just take some rest. That is a part of the thing that God's created. If I want to produce the greatest rest, I can't always be producing fruit. There's sometimes those years that I just need to make, not, I'm not talking years, but there's periods of time that I just need to take apart and just spend with God. 
Isn't that amazing when you think about the analogy of fruit and fallow ground to the, the analogy of how do I produce the greatest fruit? Sometimes I just need to get alone with God and get apart. You know what also? Fruit needs to be pruned. In Hebrews 12, 11, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. The peaceable fruit of righteousness. What's he saying? Chastening is I'm going to this tree. Maybe there's a branch on that tree that is not producing, so I cut it off and I prune it and I'm cutting back. I'm pruning the tree. Why? Because I want that tree to produce the greatest fruit. Now, in our lives, God very well may cut off friends. He may cut off family. He may cut off things in our life that we believe we need and God cuts it off. Tragedies happen. Other things happen and God removes it from our lives and we can be saying, why is this happening? And God's saying, listen, I want you to produce the greatest fruit of righteousness. You might be going through a hard time. And, and that idea of chastening is a discipline, a harsh discipline of God, wherein it's going to correct my attitude. It's going to correct my spirit. Sometimes a branch is of no value or disease, and it needs to be cut off and pruned. Other times you desire a different fruit, and what you want to do with that fruit is you want to graft it in. Say I want to have a tree that has, uh, you know, I want gala apples and Fuji apples. And so I, I take a, I don't know, whatever the caution is, and I take a branch from a, a gala tree and I, I graft it into a Fuji tree. You know, and, and, I, and I want that tree to produce both gala apples and Fuji apples. So you graft it in, and, and Scripture talks about that in Romans chapter 11. Israel was the original branch of God. Israel was the original people that were given the truths of God to be a light to the world to show people they need Jesus, that they need God, the Messiah is coming. They failed to do their job, and it says in Romans chapter 11, look with me here, God talks about this whole process of grafting in the Scriptures. I mean, there are analogies in the in orchards and this whole uh, biology that Scripture talks about. Romans chapter 11, verse 17. We're going to look at a, a couple passages here in this idea of grafting. Israel failed to be fruitful. So verse 17, I, I, uh, And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, talking about us as Gentiles, were grafted in among them, and with them partake us of the root and fatness of the olive tree. We've been grafted into the tree, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the, the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. God says, Israel, you're not doing the job. I'm going to graft in the Gentiles so that they'll go on and carry forth the fruit. And they'll do the job of being a light to the world, that people need Jesus Christ. So if you fail to do what you were designed to do after some time of waiting, God can very well remove you. Now if you change the direction of your heart after being, being removed, you can also be grafted in. Verse 23, And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. It will be at the end of the tribulation, Israel will repent, and they will be God's ambassadors. But in verse 24, for if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert graft contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Should Israel 
and the Israelites and the Jew repent of their sins and put their faith in God, they're grafted into the greatest tree, Jesus Christ. God's going to have a productive tree. It is just a choice of who will be a part of this tree. Now, in this idea... I'm going to have to... Let's see where I'm at with this respect to this, but... Thinking about that, the choice of fruit. So Israel had rejected the Lord. And when you think about all of these things of grafting, desiring fruit, fruit is meant to be consumed, right? Trees produce a fruit which is intended to be good for food. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree, that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So God created many trees, the tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and, and there was other trees. But not all trees and not all fruit is conducive to a healthy lifestyle. Not everything you do is going to help you. Fruit was designed to be eaten, consumed, and digested for physical nourishment. Verses 16 and 17, right? Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. And then he tells him, verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. So God says, here's, one, here's some bad fruit. Don't eat it. You eat it, there's bad consequences. There's death. A digestion of a bad fruit may take some time to hurt you, but it will hurt you. I was looking up some fruits uh, of the world that people might, that might look like uh, you know, other fruits that we eat normally, and that if we eat these fruit in the wrong way, it can be very detrimental to our health. And there's a number of fruits, and not necessarily here in Canada, but in other countries of the world, there are fruits that look like maybe an apple or something else, a melon. There was one that looked quite like a, a cantaloupe, and it was very harmful to you. And it is a choice. Genesis chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, Satan tempted Eve to eat the bad fruit. But it's a choice. The fruit we eat, which is good, we want others to partake in. Now, when you have something in your life that is good, have you ever had a candy, or you've drinking a pop, or you've had something that was really, really good, and, you know, I'll try something, and I'm like, Rebecca, you have to try this. She'll say, no, I don't want to try it. I'm like, no, try it. It's really, really good. Or sometimes you're like, hey, try this. Is it hot? No. And she tries it, and she's like, Wah! you know, fire. But, you know, the things, the, the, the things we eat, we want other people to partake in us. So they have the same experience. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, Eve gives that bad fruit to her husband, and it affects him as well. So whether you eat a delicious fruit or a horrible fruit, it is our human instinct to want others to partake in that experience with us. We want a community experience. You expect to eat of the fruit you plant and cultivate. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, who goeth a warfare at any time at his own charges, who planteth the vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof, or who feedeth the flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock. Now there is a, I'm going to end here tonight. Romans chapter 6, verse 19. There is a choice on the type of fruit that you have. 
as I had mentioned there earlier in Genesis, or excuse me, in Romans about Israel, they had failed to be the light, and God says, I want this tree to bear fruit. I want people for eternity. Israel, you're not doing the job. I'm going to cut you off, and I'm going to graft in the Gentiles. I'm going to graft in people who believe in me, and they're going to bear fruit for eternity. God always bears fruit. But if you're not willing to bear fruit, he'll cut you off and you'll move forward. Not that you're losing salvation, but the fact is that God very well may set you aside. I heard it while I was there in Bible college. They said God could very well, if someone is not fruitful for the Lord, he'll put you on the shelf. Because you've continued to resist and resist and resist and God puts affliction in your life and you still resist and and maybe you repent and you get right and all of a sudden you, you know, I mean, it's just... We don't know the length of God's grace, but very well could be, you know, in, in Israel just, I mean, how many times did God give grace to Israel? <laughs> right? They'd repent, and eventually they just said, you know, the nation, they rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He says, I'm going to graft in the Gentiles to come. Now, there's a choice on your fruit in, in the final thought here before we come forward. Romans chapter 6, verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For end of those things is death. Before you came to know Jesus Christ, what kind of fruit were you producing in your life? What kind of impact were you having upon others in your life before you came to know Christ? Obviously, I, you know, if you're saved young, you wouldn't have much to, to speak about. But verse 22, But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness in the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a choice, there's a choice of the type of fruit that you produce. You have the fruit of iniquity unto iniquity. You have the fruit as either a servant of holiness, fruit unto holiness, an everlasting life, or fruit of death. There's a choice of the fruit that you produce in your life. It talks about that you're now ashamed. What fruit had you then in those things which you're now ashamed? You know, when I'm living my life for myself, I'm not going to get to the end of my life. You know, I've looked at a list, and we had one time I was, one sermon I had preached, and you know, most people, when they get to the end of their life, if they, they said, man, I serve God with, all my, with my all in my life, they're not going to regret it at the end of their life. That I gave God my all, I gave God all that I could, and I, I poured into my family God. You're not going to get to the end of your life and be like, man, that was a waste of time. You're not going to do it. You know, John would say, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. John's not going to, you know, John didn't get to the end of his life and like, wow, it was such a waste of my time that those children are now walking in truth. Man, that's a waste of, you know, that's bad fruit. No, that's silly. But oftentimes, individual gets to the end of their life and they said, I wasted too much time on work or I wasted too much time on frivolous things or social media or whatever. I wasted so much time on that. 
and I wish I would have spent more time with family. I wish I would have spent more time here. That's oftentimes what many times people say when they're nearing the end of life. So when you just think about this, what kind of fruit do I want to have when I come to the end of my life and my time is up? I don't want to be like the Israelites who failed to be the light God says, you're done as a nation. I'm going to bring in the Gentiles. He brings in the institution of the local church, and, and he gets the light of the gospel out. But we as a believer, we choose the fruit. God's called us to be fruitful. We know that. The DNA of things is to reproduce after its kind. But if I'm not attached to that vine, my DNA is going to be reproducing some really bad stuff. So who are you attached to? Who are you connected with? What you're connected with is what you're going to be producing because we know the principle of science and the principle of Scripture is reproducing after your kind. What are you producing in your life? This evening as we come to the time of invitation with heads bowed and eyes closed, if I can have Mrs. Pat come forward, please. We'll just have a time to pray and talk with the Lord. And, and I just trust there's a lot of truths left to go over. But I, I really do ask you, you know, are you going to be like Israel and you refuse to do what God's called you to do and so he'll graft someone else in? Uh, or in the like fashion, or am I attached to that which is bad and I'm going to be reproducing after its kind bad things? But if you want to reproduce fruit unto holiness in the end of everlasting life, you must be connected to the right tree. As the music plays this evening, however God may have spoken to your heart, I trust that you would just talk with him and in humility you'd submit and surrender whatever God has told you to do. Surrender is of our reasonable service as Romans 12 discusses. Surrender is to be attached to the tree of life. It's rebellion moves us from the tree of life and brings forth the tree of death, fruit of death. Whatever is in your life that needs to be removed, whatever in your life you need to lessen, I trust that you be producing a fruit unto holiness and everlasting life. Your children know about Jesus Christ, your family, others know about Jesus Christ, that you love God. How are you living your life for the Lord? few more moments as the, the music plays, I trust that you just talk with God. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the challenge of Scripture. Lord, you've laid out science in regard to reproducing after kind. You've laid into it for the perpetuation of a species or of a plant, for it to reproduce, Lord, you've given it what it needs to do that. You've called us to multiply. You've called us uh, to be consumed for nutrients, and yet, Lord, so often we're attached to the wrong source, and Lord, then we wonder why things are happening. Father, I pray that whatever it is in our lives that is not producing a fruit unto holiness, we detach from that. And Lord, we would just cling to the tree, the 
tree of life. We cling to the vine, as Jesus said there in John 15, to abide in him and will produce fruit that will remain. God, I pray that we'll have remaining fruit. Lord, may we be patient as we wait for that fruit to come to fruition as we do it for holiness. God, if there's areas in our lives whereof we are ashamed that we'd repent, we'd ask you to forgive us, and Lord, then we would just, just abide in the vine. And so, Lord, I love you and I thank you for what a marvelous and gracious Savior you are. Help us to be found faithful. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you.